right, welcome to episode 29 of the Multifarious Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in with us today. We hope you guys are enjoying the content that we're putting out. Uh, today's guest is friend of the show, welcoming back for the second or third time, uh, Bryce MacArthur. Bryce is a fellow priest group coach um, up north, in the north somewhere. Not, uh, not precisely sure where, but the north is all cool. We love the north. Less people, more trees. Uh, what's not to love? Anyway, he's um, kind of yeah, grown with us. He started his own business, uh, the online business, and he's also newly working in Movadi Athletic, which is a great gym, to be honest. I went to one of their, I went to their Canada location in Ottawa back in 2017 before I like came to Istanbul. So great gym. That's where he's working currently. So it was cool to kind of see the ins and outs and how they work as trainers there. Mm, on the table that I've been considering to work at, so definitely cool information for me. And then we kind of go into progressions and how he progresses people as well as the assessments that he uses. There are some sort of, you know, standard company assessments uh, that they're recommended to use. But Bryce, being Bryce, is incredible, you know, incredibly intelligent. You know, he's done the same courses that I have. And so he's uh, has his head on very, very straight, Um, you know, in terms of what's good to use, what isn't good to use, what are better options for assessments, and assessments based on the population or the clientele at hand. And so there's always something that I can learn from him, you know, when we sit down to talk. So I'm very grateful for that opportunity. You can find Bryce on Instagram at underscore body by Bryce and check out his website at, I believe it's b3coaching.ca. So yeah, shoot him in a DM if you have any questions about what he was talking about or find his email. It's somewhere on his, uh, on his website. It will be all in the description as well. It kind of cuts off very abruptly because we ran to the limit of how long Zoom lets you record for. But we still got a full episode. We were able to sort of skip ahead because um, our first episode, we had to, you know, do his introduction in the beginning, talk about who he is, where he's from, his philosophy, that kind of stuff. And so this time we're able to skip right ahead into the meat and potatoes, so to speak, uh, the good stuff. So, yeah, pretty good episode. Um, let us know what you guys think. We want to get more feedback from you guys. So... Um, obviously you guys know where to find me. I am constantly posting about my late night, um, exploits, speed cooking or studying. Um, so yeah, hit me up, hit Tom up, give us some suggestions, any guests you'd like to see on the show, any discussions or any topics that you want covered or drop them in the comments of the posts that go out uh, for the episodes. Um, but yeah, let us know what you guys want to see. We greatly appreciate your feedback. Obviously any questions, comments or concerns and recommendations slash advice and feedback shoot me a dm on instagram at saluji underscore a check out tom at t.m.henderson and com for the website coaching and training inquiries uh, that should be everything i've taken more than enough of your time and without further ado please enjoy the episode so yeah first before we get to the progressions you've been newly working in Movadi, right i have yeah yeah. Yeah, how's that been? Oh, it's been good, man. It's um it's definitely a change. Like there's a lot of trainers there. There's probably twenty-five of us. It's a big team. Um, and then it, it's different because before I was at Snap, right? And Snap had four. So there's a lot more competition. Um, but the biggest thing is the wide variety of people you see come through. That's probably one of the biggest things. Um, and I would definitely say one of the perks of being in like a commercial gym is just the influx. Like there's so many people that you can have coming in that you can 
it's like a numbers game, right? It's a easier to gain clients. It's easier to fill up versus snap was a lot of my own generation. Um, but then there's also a lot, there's a lot of PTs on the team too, that I can learn from. So it's kind of, it's kind of like the whole prescript thing too, right? Like a lot of people that have more experience than me, a lot of people that I can actually progress from and uh, challenge and grow as far as like PT wise, but then also as um, like business wise too, right? That's interesting. So when, so I don't know how it sort of works back over in Canada, but a lot of the commercial sort of style gyms here, you have to essentially like going in as a trainer, mm-hmm. you have to go in essentially like pay a fee to the gym. So like you can then hold your spot as a trainer and then you have to get like, make a, like basically make sales on the gym floor and bring in clients for your own, for your own self in some sort of gym set, settings here. Um, back home. So for Movadi anyways, since Movadi is a big commercial gym, um, you don't have to rent from them. You're, you're just working for them. Um, if you wanted to like rent a space, there's certain gyms that do that. Like there's one called um, like Evolve, which is kind of like a bigger gym around here. Actually, Brandon Schultz trains under there. Yeah. Um, that's all like that's downtown Edmonton. So those ones you'd be paying a fee and like you'd be contracting, right? Um, but as far as Movadi goes, Movadi is like pretty big actually in Ontario. And this is their first like Western club. So this is the first club that's out here in Western Canada. So um, as I'm just working as a Movadi PT, so I'm not doing any of my own personal stuff through them. With that, you have to follow a model for how to train clients sort of, especially as they like throughout, like through assessment and sort of intake and stuff, or do you have a certain amount of autonomy over it yourself or are they quite rigid in how they like their um, trainers to operate? So with Movadi, I mean, their intake process is fairly similar for each client. Um, You have to book them all in as like a, they call it like a GPS, which is like a game plan session. So pretty much you sit down with this individual and you figure out like, okay, like what do you guys want? What do you want to accomplish? You pretty much just do a full consult with them. Hmm. Um, and you kind of go through injuries and everything. And then from there we do like an, an in-body scan, which again, it's a body fat analysis, which we all know isn't super accurate, but it gives them a good starting point at least. Um, and then as far as assessments go, they do have like assessments that Movadi wants you to use. So what's quote unquote is seen like as a good, as good assessments, but um, my bosses are pretty cool. And they realize that a lot of us have different assessments from different courses. So they let us kind of take the rein on some things. Um, So if we think a certain client could benefit from a certain assessment, then they'll let us do it, which is kind of nice. Um, so we don't have to, we don't have to have to like follow a script, which I find helps me quite a bit because there's obviously a lot that I've learned from Nate or from Prescript that I want to use. Um, and then as far as like programming goes, we just kind of do whatever we want to do with them. Uh, I know some box gyms will have them follow like a, like a model and like a very basic linear progression. But for us, it's like, it's whatever we think the client needs. So, um, 
I've had some clients where first month they're already into, into barbell work, but just because they're, they already have like two or three years of experience. Um, whereas like I have some clients that all they can do is like a, a neutral grip floor press to start off with. But again, it just depends. That's why you're doing the assessments, right? And that's why you're asking all the questions about their history and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting because also over here, I feel like there is a big gap between, for the most part, um, sort of on floor gym PTs and higher level sort of coaches who have got like their own businesses and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, because like sort of having the pleasure of knowing a lot of very good coaches through prescripts sort of over here in the UK and then speaking to people my age, just a bit older who are, who have done a fair few years sort of PTing on gym floors, it's, it's a big disparity. And I think, whereas I feel like, especially when I've been over to the States and stuff, I've found like in gyms, like the level of sort of base level PTing actually seems to be a fair bit higher or the, um, or the amount of very good coaches who also work in gyms is a lot higher because I feel like here a lot of people do go sort of down that route of th their own business setup and sort of taking people one-on-one -on -one outside of a box gym setting. I think it de depends on the gym. Um, it definitely depends on what their, their base level is for, because like a lot of certifications I find they all vary so much, which is kind of annoying. Um, I think that they should all have like, there should be a gold standard for PT. And even if that means extending the amount of material you have to do, like whatever, because I know I'm not sure how it is there, but here you could technically be certified in like two months, <laughs> like quote unquote certified. Right. And I think it needs to be it needs to be worked on. Like the whole, the whole process needs to be longer just because how can you learn that much information within two months? Cause you're, you're taking some, you're working with somebody's health, which is, which is crazy. Like I wouldn't want somebody working on my car that did a two month course. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, I did a weekend course, bro. So let's do it. I'd be like, man, no. <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely think that the industry itself is just obviously heavily saturated. There's a ton of PTs that are just in it because they think they can make really good money doing it, which you do see happen a lot in a lot of these like gyms where they're, where they're paying a fee, they'll charge stupid rates and they'll run all their clients for the same thing. And it's like clockwork, right? But you do have the like good PTs that actually care about their clients and actually are doing courses that, because they want to better their, their clients, which is why the team at Movoy is pretty good. Like my boss was pretty picky. Um, and all the PTs he's hired on there have a lot of experience. And actually a lot of them have some sort of like prescript stuff too. Like quite a few of them, I'd say uh, maybe six of us. Oh, I think, wow. I think That's a couple. That's roster really there. Yeah. I think folks in the same gym, all part of prescript. <laughs> oh. Well, more my boss is like also level one coach. And then one of my other guys, he's level one and barbell. Uh, and then two of the other ones are have barbell. And then I have level one and barbell. And then I think another one has, uh, I think barbell as well. 
Yeah. So there's probably six or six or seven of us. So, and that's not even including like they have a, a ton of other stuff too. So that's why I said it's a, it's a good team to be a part of because you can even just learn from watching them. Like if I'm not with a client, I can just like watch kind of from what they're doing and you'll learn something that maybe they wouldn't have done before. Or we have um, something called like a TND, which is like a teach and demonstrate. So sometimes these trainers that have been around for a while, they'll actually like, they'll run them and they will actually show us some things that maybe that we don't know, or maybe they'll run us through things that they learned recently in the course. So it's a good chance to expand your knowledge without having to actually spend anything and you get paid for it. So yeah, it's yeah. always a plus learn, yeah. learn stuff <laughs> and get paid for learning stuff. Yeah. It's pretty whereas cool. On, whereas on the flip side, I'm at university and learning stuff, but paying a hefty sum for it. So. <laughs> right now you're paying, you're paying for to work for nothing. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. Paying for slavery, I get that. <laughs> yeah. You'd mentioned assessments, so where uh, where are you going with that? Um, so as far as assessments go, like I mean, it depends on the individual, right? Um, Movadi typically wants us to take them through the overhead squat, which I'm not really a fan of, and I know we're all probably very opinionated on that. Um, again, a good expression of function, not a good way to assess function because when you're going to ever have a barbell over your head, unless you're an Olympic, Olympic athlete. So I would, I only really ever use it just to see how they're expressing movement. Um, so pretty much just to see how their, their ankles are knees, hips, uh, cause usually you can tell if they have a hip shift pretty bad, um, the hinge, interestingly enough, you guys find this interesting, actually. They want us to do a single leg hinge as an assessment, which I don't like a, agree with. Like a single leg RDL or like a B-sense RDL? Pretty much a single leg RDL. Yeah. Not, to, not, not, not to the extent where you're at the tabletop position, but they want... That's actually on the assessment sheet. And I'm like... I can barely do that. And you want me to try to take somebody that's never worked out through that? Yeah, it's a, it's a high-end one for sure. Yeah, so usually what I'll do is I'll just do like a pretty entry-level hip hinge, right? I'll just usually do it to a wall because I find with most new people, having the wall as a target helps a ton. Um, and then if they have worked out before, usually they smoke it. But if they haven't, then it's watching a deer on ice still. So, I mean, you try to add in some sort of stability to that and it's, it's a disaster. So I don't ever usually do the single leg one. A boss doesn't really care. Um, as far as that though, we do do like a flexibility test. So we're supposed to be checking like their joint dexterity. So checking fingers, checking elbows, checking um checking knees pretty much just to see how sturdy their joints are it's kind of an interesting assessment um they like using it um and what else there's like a hamstring flexibility one which i never use <laughs> um yeah i usually just again add my own stuff in but they do do like a reach test which is good 
and there are some other ones that are good too but again they kind of just say like here's the skeleton take from it as you will and then just realize that like everybody has differences so an assessment that's on there might not be good for the one person that you're wanting to try to get it as a client it's all about showing value right like if you have somebody that's super super flexible but then you take them through a hamstring flexibility assessment it's like are you really going to be showing any value doing that yeah because for someone like that they've got they've clearly got to some degree like flexibility and probably you can derive from that that they're going to have a decent degree of mobility so then probably from there it's about like what's their active range and how good is their stability and the active range and then beginning to challenge stability in itself as at least yeah. as at least in early not necessarily in an assessment but in early stages of training if that would be concurrent with their goals yeah i mean as you guys know obviously like active and passive ranges are different um so typically i'm, I'm not a huge fan of the the hamstring flexibility anyways just because they're flat on the ground so um but again like all the assessments they give out i think it's for a lot of new pts so if somebody like if this is their first pt job it's a good thing to follow step by step because they're all very elaborate and they actually have like on in the intake for when you actually start the job there they have videos on everything so they'll have videos on like what to look for um actually there's a bird dog too which i actually with, I do think it's a good assessment though. So probably one of the good ones that's on there. Yeah. So what did you, what did you find yourself tweaking majorly sort of as you started out? What were sort of some of the things where you're like, I'm probably going to flag this um, as something I'm going to admit, uh, omit. And then sort of these are the areas that are missed and I probably need to try and touch on a bit more with clients sort of. Yeah. Um, again, like we're there, we're kind of pressed for time. So that's what they told us from, from the very start. Like they want us to do the consult, the, um, the in-body, so the body comp and the assessment in an hour. Okay. So, <laughs> so they're like, okay, we want all of this done in an hour. So typically what, what I'll do now is I'll do the, do the consult. Cause like, usually I find that the consult, you're just building rapport. So I've actually sold a lot of clients just from the consult itself, just because you're getting to actually know somebody and you're getting to figure out what they need from you. Um, and you're building that relationship, right? The in body for some people is like a really eye opening thing. But again, I always do tell them that it can be high or low because the only accurate actual body composition test is going to be calipers or maybe a DEXA, but even a DEXA can be off. Um, but yeah, the assessments though, like it, it depends, right? I, I don't know, I hate using it depends, but typically I will just take what I think I need from it. So typically it's the overhead, typically it's a hinge, typically it's gonna be some sort of gate, uh, typically it's gonna be a reach test and typically some sort of core stability movement because you're taking them through most planes of motion and you're kind of just seeing how they move. But the biggest thing, like, again, is you're seeing how the client moves after that anyways. So you're, you're assessing right from the start to just get a basic entry level of where they're at. 
but the real assessing starts when you actually have their first session with them. Like the first month is probably the major assessing that you're actually doing because you're seeing how they move on a weekly to weekly basis, right? You're seeing how they move through pressing motions. You're seeing how they move through like, you know, unilateral work. You're seeing how they move through horizontal vertical pulling. You're seeing how they move through flexion extension, right? And you're just seeing their capacity from a weekly, a weekly basis. And you're seeing how they progress neuromuscularly as well. So that's more or less how I gauge it anyways. And I tell them that I tell them like, Hey, this is, this is just to see where you're at right now. So I know where to start on your program, but the real like assessing starts on our first session together. When I see how you actually move, because like assessments are just, they're very entry level, but also can just depend on the day. Like if you're a very high stress person, you could be not accessing certain ranges too. So it's not super accurate. Yeah, and yeah. that's the third before you go off I know that like that's Eric's thing, at least like the idea of looking at the first month as the assessment. I think I've heard that from yeah. him. Yeah. In terms of not putting too much stock in the initial assessments and more so just looking at their first week, first month of training and then going from there. Yeah. You'll 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 see as you kind of start working in more more gyms, especially when you start working in person. I think that's the most important experience as a PT um, is the most, most, most of the time, the first month is going to be fairly similar person to person because you're going to go pretty externally stabilized. You're going to be getting them through a lot of neutral plane motion. So like for me, I'm a big fan of like a floor press because they're super externally stabilized. They know when to stop because they're physically hitting the ground and you just add in a pause rep. So that way they know how to keep tension and, you know, you're, you're doing some sort of like vertical and horizontal push, and then you're doing some sort of like vertical and horizontal pulling, right. All externally stabilized. So, I mean, for the most part, the first month might look similar person to person, depending if, unless that person is like way ahead, let's say you go in and they're absolutely smoking all the assessments. Then like when my one client, for example, he, like we're already doing barbell work, but that's just because he came in. And he had already had like three years of lifting experience, but he was like, just get me strong. That was the biggest thing he wanted. So it just depends on that initial conversation and that intake process. But it's, again, you're more so assessing session to session, but I do see it happen a lot where PTs will progress clients too quickly. I was just going to say the first ever assessment I actually got put through was when I first joined the gym when I was like 13, 14. And uh, I think we did like the, um, we had the sit down sort of consultation chat for about 10, 15 minutes. And then it was, and then I think it was an incline walk on a treadmill whilst holding a conversation for like 10 minutes. And it was just like, this is, this seems like a really good use of time. And then, <laughs> and then he had yeah. me on like, and then he had me on like a yoga mat doing all sorts of like, um, I can't even remember it's that long ago, but I think it was some, some ge fairly general sort of core work. It might've even been the big three at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or more or less, or some sort of, yeah, hitting sort of all three main sort of functions of the core. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an experience sort of doing that. And then I was like, I asked this guy to get me like a bit bigger 
and a bit stronger just getting into the gym. And, so can you do an incline walk test? Yeah, an incline <laughs> walk test. And then um yeah. and then and then I think all of my initial programming for that was it was like one giant circuit around the gym on the machines, doing about doing sets of twenty, I think. So the complete opposite of what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah. Um I was I was fairly new to sort of working out. I'd done a bit like back home um in i think one of our friends had uh gifted us a fairly rickety old uh, multi-gym for the for our for the shed for what is now this shed um and yeah i trained on there for for like a couple of months leading up to this because i was like oh you know i'm going into i was like going into like the senior part of our school like our high school bit and i was like all right i'm, I'm gonna put on some size i'm gonna get bigger so mm. big kids don't pick on me. Yeah. And I was like training for a bit. And yeah, I go to this gym and it was it was an interesting experience to say the least. It was a but I mean it was a start, which I'm still grateful for. Like even though even though looking back on it, it probably wasn't the most useful way to spend my formative months in the gym. It it was at least something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. And I, I wanted to do it every time I went back. So at least he sort of built some sort of adherence, but I'm not necessarily sure that was necessarily from the trainer. I think that was just from more from my own willingness to go and train. I think it's more or less just the base, again, kind of like going back to what we were talking about before, that base entry level gain into the field, right? And people just thinking that because it worked for one client, it'll work for all of them. And then I think a lot of it too is just experience. Like they think that people are scared, right? They're scared to try new things and they're scared to make mistakes, but that's, you know, getting into the industry. It's probably the best thing to do is to try something yourself and then try it with a client. Try it with yourself first. Use yourself as a guinea pig, which is like highly useful. And obviously like, but they encourage that a lot in the prescript labs too, just to be trying the things that were actually talking about so like application is huge right um but the biggest thing is just being and like the basics work i think that's the biggest thing is people tend to overcomplicate programming they always think that you need to try to reinvent the wheel it's like no you just need to find something that will give the client stimulus like all they need is stimulus if they're more of a sensation-based person like i'm actually working with somebody now he's very sensation-based he needs to feel like he has a good workout so that's when exercise selection is so important and like placement in a program, right? Having a certain movements laid out specifically. So that way they feel like they've actually had a good workout while also having a good workout. And it's a, it's a tough thing to actually grasp because for us, it's so easy. It's like, okay, you need to be doing these things properly and efficiently, but for certain people that feel like they can't, they can't do that or they can't focus. They feel like they need to just keep going. So then for them, it's like, okay, well, I need to just, you know, probably more like you, they'd feel like they need to have like your first trainer. They want the circuit stuff. Right. But for like, if we're trying to get them to put on some muscle, it's like, well, okay, the circuit thing is probably not really going to work for you. So you just have to kind of almost trick them. And, and it's all about like, even the shallow quote, it's like hiding the vegetables with the spaghetti sauce. It's like, that's like, like that whole thing. Right. So for this new client, for example, it's like doing a skill-based movement first and then tossing them in machines. So then that way he, he's, you know, he's doing something that's pretty high skill-based first, 
really focusing on tempo. And then I throw him in machines and he can drive output. So that way he's still getting a good workout. Like he's still hitting that probably that like uh, lactic and alactic capacity for sure. But he's also safe. And that's the biggest thing too, is because you don't want to be doing a bunch of stuff where there's room for error and like higher risk than reward. Uh, definitely. So touched on it already. And I know it's something Saluji wanted to talk about as well, sort of progressions with clients and sort of how, so you mentioned also people trying to progress clients a bit too quickly. Mm. Um, so sort of run us through sort of your thinking about, as you mentioned as well, you had some thoughts on progressions based yeah. off recent stuff. So yeah, the floor is yours basically just, let loose whatever's in your head about progressions just throw it out there so i think that uh even school will teach you that you should have a progression scheme with a client right they'll be like okay you should do like let's say a split, a split squat for example right front foot elevated let's do contralateral load then ipsilateral load then bilateral load right and then all of a sudden it's like okay now from there it's like stationary lunge then same thing contra ipsy and then from there rear foot right it's like, okay, well, no, it should be dependent on the individual. It should be dependent on what the client needs. And there shouldn't be like this, this basic runaway. You should be able to go off and you should realize too, that the demand and the goal of the client should dictate which movements we're using and which movements are in a program. And like we, like I said before too, it should dictate where it lies in the program. Right. If a client wants to, let's say a client plays soccer. And this is the whole debate about sports specific training too, which we can talk about a different time. <laughs> um, it's more or less just going to be like finding exposure for that client in different positions that they're not normally in. So it's just like, okay, well, the client is already going to be on one leg quite a bit. So you have to try to find more stabilization stuff versus more dyna more dynamic work and it's this all about finding what works for that person but I'll, again a lot of it is just injury prevention or trying your best to make sure that they're able to build a capacity so that way they're not getting injured in the future and i think the biggest thing with a lot of new pts is they'll be like okay your first block is done so let's progress you i'm like well is the client like are they getting bored are they still seeing progress with the movement? Like I would almost just use that movement until they almost start to hit a little bit of a wall with it. And then from there you change the stimulus and then you change the, the variability of the movement and you change the modality. And like, I mean, the modality could be anything. The modality could just simply be load, whether it's more proximal distal loading, it could just be. And for us, it's a matter of just changing a hand right? Just changing a hand or changing where the weight is. But for the client, that's huge. That changes what kind of musculature they're using. That changes so many different things. So I think just as a society, we tend to overcomplicate just because of social media. We tend to think that we need to try to do some crazy stuff on a BOSU ball with a bicep plat, with a bicep plate. We need to be doing some crazy stuff with an SSB on our back while we're doing like a trap bar deadlift. Like I think people always just think like what's quote unquote functional or what they're like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's stress the body. Let's confuse the body. And I'm like, man, you're confusing me with the stuff you're doing, not confusing <laughs> the body. So 
the basics are there because they work. And I think people just need to realize that you're just trying to build a capacity in a movement and you can just use a movement for a while. And each movement that you have in a program should have intention and should have purpose. I think that's the biggest thing I can tell people going into this field is that you need to actually have intention-based programming, but then also like, don't be so quick to just progress a movement just because you hit like the end of a four week block. Like if the client is still kind of shaky with the movement, like run it longer. Like let's say this, a client's doing a split squat and let's say you're having to use a dowel for the first bit, right? Let's say they, they need that external stabilization. Don't be so quick to just change the split squat up. If by week four, they're finally at the point where you're taking the dowel away, like keep the split squat the same. Cause like, that's when you can start driving, you know, more range based movement, but then also drive load. Like, you know, some PTs might be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Now you're getting the split squat down. So like, now let's go into like a rear foot. And like, as we all know, like a rear foot elevated split squat is a pretty progressively challenging movement for a lot of people just because of the angle of the hip extension. And typically people will go way too high on the back foot, right? They'll, they'll be like way on a bench or they'll be like way up on like a step. And it's like, okay, you're not even like challenging any kind of hip extension now, especially if their back foot's like kind of up to their glute. Like, <laughs> so it's just a matter of, I think the base, the base entry level of knowledge going into the field um, needs to improve. It needs to be higher. Yeah, for sure. And you made a great point about variability. It's something that Nick and I had actually talked about in our recent episode. The idea that people need a lot less variability than they think and a lot yeah. less variability than the industry would have them think. Like every, every, you know, everything is about, oh, try this exercise for this, try this exercise for that. If you have a system and the system's working, just stick to the system, right? Especially in newer lifters where, and this is the Killianism, their variability comes from just not doing stuff properly because they'll do a set and every rep is different. That's all the variability that they need. Like they're already, they're already having their training mixed up, so to speak. So you don't really need to yep. swap in a different exercise every week to change things up because their training is already yep. pretty changed up. And your focus as a trainer, if you're a good trainer, should be on making things look less switched up before you yep. can legitimately go about changing exercises. And your your comments about the split squat and like the idea of progressions should be individualized is so good. And it's something that we had actually talked about uh, on the lower body intensive in, in Toronto where they introduced the idea of like the progression via the split squat and like the base progression being, you know, moving from front foot elevated to, yeah, to static to rear, like you said, in like the phases of gait cycle. But in that, that comes with the caveat that that is not the progression or even the best progression. That's just a pro progression that revolves around challenging the quad more and challenging quad hypertrophy. But mm -hmm. If the, if the objective that you're trying to tackle with the split squat is, and this is like, you know, deep in the level two rabbit hole, but if the objective that you're trying to challenge is to move someone's center of mass back, because you've identified that that's what they need, then you're not going yeah. to end up at a front elevated split squat. You're going to end yeah. up probably at a front foot elevated split squat. So the progression changes based off of the objective that you're trying to get to. And mm -hmm. this is kind of it, like working backwards and understanding first principles. Like, it's not, this is what I should do, therefore I'm going to do it. It's why does this work? 
and working back from it, well, this works for this, something this will also work for something else. Right? It's all about yeah. it's all about like the phonetics. That's a good analogy that Kala uses. Is that you know, don't learn the words of the language, learn the building blocks of the words so you can actually make different sentences. I like that yeah, analogy a lot. It's kind of like when uh, Tom mentioned earlier the big three, right? They are a great base level to work with, but you have to have progressions from the from the big three. If you're still doing the big three, but you're trying to deadlift 600 pounds, like you should probably progress from there. So again, it's all about, I don't think people, people realize that either, like in a front foot elevated split squat versus a rear foot, like you're working different musculature and you're, you're changing and altering positioning, right? Like you have more forward knee travel in a split squat front foot ele- elevated. Whereas with a rear foot elevated, you have more, I would say like more posterior knee travel so again like they are just different movements so you have to just realize that by altering foot position by altering position in general you're changing what musculature is being worked so again like i think it's good to be talked about because a lot of people just try to progress clients way too quickly and then also just that just increases the chance of injury because you're just increasing the neuromuscular demand of a movement so you, you see people like touching barbells way too fast. That's probably the biggest thing I see in commercial gyms is like they'll, let's say like one week they're doing a, a goblet squat. Like let's, let's say for four weeks, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, sweet, cool. You're, you're going to do a back squat now. I'm like, okay, you're, you're missing on so much potential, right? Like you're missing out on so much potential for programming, so much potential for, for movements. And once, you're, once they're at a back squat, the biggest thing should just be intention and loading. It shouldn't really be much cueing. You should just be helping them pick weight that they can handle. And it's like small cues. Like you shouldn't have to be still cueing them a ton. If you're still having to cue them a ton, then they're probably just not at that point where they can actually do that movement itself. So that's why, I mean, again, Prescript is great for, giving all of the progressions that you should run a client through or run an athlete through before jumping into one of the big three movements. Right. Definitely. And I think it's also, um, it's one thing I remember um, John Meadows used to say a lot in a lot of his YouTube videos was trying to get a lot out of trying, basically trying to get as much as possible out of as little as possible in terms of exercise selection. Cause like you'd watch his chest, like for example, like his chest days and it'd always be like some sort of dumbbell press, some sort of barbell press, and then some sort of machine, like some sort of flying machine at the end, like for example. And he'd, he'd like run those three into the ground for like however many blocks of training that he could yeah. still keep making progression through them or yeah. still feel like they, he, they were giving him the same stimulus he felt he needed. And then from there, he'd maybe look to change it up. And it's, it's sort of the same, like, even for people just looking to do their own programming, it's like, and I think everyone at some point has been um, subject to this is like, just basically changing things up for the sake of changing things up. And don't get me wrong, as, as a coach as well, if you feel like you need to try things out, because mm-hmm. a client either wants to do them or it's something that's piqued your interest just in terms of like, is it a possibility you could use with someone Then, mm-hmm. by all means go and run it for a couple of weeks and like, and see how it feels. But 
the bulk of your programming should stay fairly consistent for fairly long periods of time and yeah i just i was i was a serial program hopper uh, early doors it's all about intention right just knowing when to progress and knowing when to regress that's the biggest thing and just knowing based off of how the individual is moving that's all you can really do don't be too afraid to run something until a client's starting to see you know until they're not progressing with the movement that's it awesome thank you guys very much that's a solid episode all right thank you for tuning in to the multifarious podcast we hope you guys enjoyed this episode if you did please do share tag us on instagram that whole thing at the multifarious podcast tag whoever the guest was and tag myself and tom at saluji underscore a and t.m.henderson thank you again for the listen and please enjoy the rest of your day